This is the Mothers of Reinvention, and I am your host, Jess Zaino. On every episode of this podcast, I connect with rebel women who share their never-before-heard stories about how they reinvented themselves and how this set their course to success. Our guest today is a Yale-trained epidemiologist, venture capitalist, and a gorgeous and powerful visionary. She is the founder and managing general partner of Genius Guild, a venture studio with $20 million venture fund that builds and invests in scalable companies companies led by Black founders that serve their communities and beyond. She is the founder of the Dooney Fund that supported over 2,000 Black women entrepreneurs throughout the COVID-19 crisis. She is the founder and past CEO of Digital Undivided, a groundbreaking social enterprise focused on creating a world where women own their work. But before all of this, she was my friend. Please welcome to the show, Ms. Catherine Finney. Hello. Hello. <laughs> it is so great to be chatting with you today. I'm so happy to see you and uh, to be chatting with you as well. So you are like the ultimate mother of reinvention. I know, um, right? <laughs> I want to take it back back in the day to the budget fashionista, actually, because mm. that's really where I um, – first of all, you're a, an epidemiologist. Weren't your parents doctors, if I recall, or was that something I'm remember, mis- no. misremembering? My my dad was in tech actually. Okay. So, okay. Um, which I mean, totally changed my family's life. I'm from the Midwest. Yeah. My dad um, was a brewery worker at Schlitz Brewery, which is like you know very hipster right now. Like everybody's into Schlitz. Um, <laughs> and and so he was a brewery worker, and the brewery shut down, um, devastated the city of Milwaukee. It was during the early '80s where you had a lot of um, communities going from manufacturing to service and people were being left completely out. Um, and, but he found himself at this workforce development center and some dude was like, I'm going to teach this place factory workers how to like code in like 1981 or something. I mean, just like the vision of this person to do that. And my dad saw this tech thing could be a thing. Like I literally was talking to my mother about it and she was like, yeah, he was like, I think this might be something. And so <laughs> wow. he took the C++, C++ coding course. And from there, it just spiraled. He went to, he got an in, unpaid internship. Um, he got a paid in, internship. Um, this is at 36 and moved my entire family to Minneapolis from Milwaukee. Um, so it's like one cold place to another cold place, but it's like vastly different. Um, and when he uh, he rose to the ranks, he became an engineer at Microsoft. And when he passed, he was an engineer at AMC. And so I grew up seeing my parents take a risk and it paying off. And I don't think I really realized until maybe the past like couple of months how important that was as a child to see your parents take a risk and, and win, particularly when you come from, when you're a person of color. Mm. And particularly when you're, even more so when you're Black. And to see someone win by taking a risk. Yes. And so that allowed me to take risk because I knew I could win. Yes. I knew winning was possible. That's beautiful. I love that so much. And you yourself have taken risks your entire life. Mm. Um, yeah. which has been the beauty of me watching you take risks and succeed time and time again. Um, when I met you, it was about, I want to say, like 2002, right? 2002-ish? Yeah, yeah. It, it was so back in the day. That so back in the day. I don't day. even know if that day <laughs> exists anymore. <laughs> <laughs> in- but you were already, you had already written your book and had already established yourself as the budget mm-hmm. fashionista. Um, how did you go from epidemiology and then reinvent mm. yourself into the budget fashionista? You know, Be- I besides, really... be- besides looking really cute in what you wore <laughs> in your outfits. <laughs> you know, it was it was really 
a sense of I've nothing's been quite planned until my my most recent thing. Um, but it was I was broke. I had a very expensive Ivy League in education. Um, I had planned on having a career abroad. So I was going to be this international epidemiologist doing all this amazing stuff and was traveling to like really cool places. I mean, um, like Shremel Shrake in the Sinai Peninsula and like, I mean, like not normal, like not like, Jamaica. oh, she went to London. It was, or Jamaica, <laughs> <laughs> like not Cancun. I was like, you know, Catherine is where? She's in like Japur, India. Like she's on the border of Pakistan. I mean, I was just like, what is she doing? And so it was really cool. But when my father became ill, um, I couldn't do that. And this was before... If we remember back in this day, the 2002s, 2003s, we didn't have FaceTime. We didn't have Zoom. We didn't have any of the ways to stay connected virtually that we have now. So it was like, when you get news like that, you got to up and go. Like, there's no, I couldn't Facebook my dad and see or FaceTime him and see if he was okay. Like, I literally had to get on a plane to go, go back home. And so I realized I couldn't do that type of work, at least not consistently, um, because I need to get home. And it wasn't as easy to get places as it is now. Um, this was like 20 years ago. And so, mm-hmm. so I went back home um, and, and, you know, fell in love and got married and uh, was kind of like, what am I going to do? Because my whole entire career was supposed to be abroad. Like my entire career was supposed to be abroad. Like that was what I was going to do. And that couldn't happen anymore. And so I started to like shop a lot. I'm going to spend money because I was bored. Um, I was living in Philly. And Philly is a tough place if you don't have family there. It's a very familial, family-centered place. If you have family, you'll have an amazing time in Philly. If you don't have family, Philly is really, really hard because Mm -hmm. everyone hangs out with their family there. So I didn't have family there. And all my friends lived in New York. So I was like traveling to go shopping in New York. Or I was at the King of Prussia Mall. Um, and, And I was spending a lot of money. And... You know, my husband at the time said, hey, you know, maybe we should not be doing this. Like, maybe I get your 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 board. So maybe you can, like, write about it. Like, maybe that'll be a way to, like, you know, kind of instead of buying it, you could still have the adventure. Because I think he recognized that it was about companionship and not about, um, about companionship. Consu- Right. It wasn't consumerism. It wasn't consumerism. I think when you're a shopaholic or you're using shopping as an outlet, it's rarely just, it's, it's rarely about the stuff. It's yes. like more about maybe the process. Maybe it's like getting out. It yes. gave me a way to not think about what was going on, mm-hmm. maybe not to deal with certain things. And so um, when I started writing the blog, it really didn't, it was more of an outlet. It was a diary. It, it, there was no... At that time, there was no money to be made. No one was making any money at that time. Um, Facebook wasn't even invented yet. Mm-hmm. I was telling people, like, this was before Facebook was invented. There was no Twitter. Um, and I, in fact, remember when Twitter was um, Odeo. Remember Odeo? I know. Which was, like, the first podcasting. So Twitter came out of Odeo, which was, like, the, one of the first podcasting platforms. I and remember... So Twitter- I remember Prodigy at that, like Prodigy, Prodigy was happening. Yep. And I remember yep. Napster. Yep. Like yep. AOL Napster. when they sent you the disc in the mail. The disc in the mail. Yes. Like all <laughs> of that old school stuff. And people like, you know, don't realize like how tough it was. So I had to learn how to code because you couldn't, nothing would show up. There was no, what you see is what you get. Um, WordPress wasn't invented yet. Like there was none of the stuff that there was blogger. Remember blogger? blogger? Uh, uh, so I yeah. started my blog on blogger. I think I was one of the first 200 people on blogger to start a blog. Yeah. Which I mean, it's like, that's, that's how old school, like yes. remember Yahoo was it? Like Yahoo yeah. was like the thing. Yes. <laughs> like, like, uh, and the only search ask, engine. The only search engine. And if you ask anybody under 35 now about Yahoo, they're like, what? Like, because nobody knows what Yahoo is anymore. But, like, all of these things. And so coming into this world, I just started to write about, like, shopping and tips. And my sister-in-law would ask me questions. And I would, like, answer them. And didn't really think anything of it until a reporter from the Associated Press was doing an article. 
Um, and she was like, hey, I'm doing an article on people who travel to go um, sample sale shopping. You can still find this article online. It was January 1st, 2004 that this came out. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, you know, she interviewed me and put a link to the website. Back in those days, in the Stone Ages, people, like companies didn't see value in online content. So like everyone from, you know, Marie Claire or whatever magazine was hot all the way to your local newspaper pretty much always relied on the Associated Press to fulfill that sort of content for them because they didn't put, they didn't create, you know, um, content studios internally. They didn't think it was valuable. And many of their contracts with their reporters didn't include digital. So, and they didn't want to pay the extra money for it. So as a result, if you had an article or mentioned an article in Associated Press, you were everywhere. And that's what happened to me. And then it became a thing. So this thing that was very much a hobby, I was still working as an epidemiologist. I was leading um, a really large uh, Black women's health project in um, Philadelphia. And it was this a side gig for me. And all of a sudden it became a thing. Like when I say it became... I mean, within, you know, a couple of months, I had a literary agent who was like, you know, I just saw you. Have you thought about maybe writing a book? And I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, I didn't even think that was like a thing. Like, okay, sure, let's do it. Um, I don't know how to do it, but, you know, I'm going to say yes. Um, And then it just like spiraled. And then my first uh, Today Show appearance happened. And that was like in September of that year. And they came out to the Secaucus Marshalls. Um, which I don't know if this is true, but at the time it was the best marshals. Like, <laughs> and marshals, because it was a test marshals. It was the marshals where they put stuff. Mm. And it was one of the first home goods um, that they had. And I'm obsessed with home goods. But I'm anyway. obsessed with home goods too. Do you remember, I don't know if they have it still, at marshals, they tested something called the cube. And they- yes, I remember the cube. Yes, yes. <laughs> and they would put all, all the, the designer stuff. All the new designer stuff would go in the cube. I don't think they do really it anymore. I love you know Marshalls. what? I haven't been to a Marshalls in a very long time. Oh. But I, I actually think you're probably right. Because um, I think there's like so many outlets now. And like also those brands are doing their own outlets. Yes. So they're kind of like, we're going to send it, you know. Um, but yeah, no, it was just crazy. And it just led to all this stuff. And, um, and it took me on a journey. And so I went from this epidemiologist to being a blogger or blogger and I remember my mother was like what are you doing I'm like oh it's a blog you know blah blah she's like blog blog like what is that I don't know what that is (laughs) and I was trying to explain to her she's like still didn't get it and my family did not get it until it wasn't even my book deal it was there's a I had a page feature in the September 2006 I will never forget this February issue of Essence magazine that had Beyonce on the cover and who's looking all very Beyonce-esque. And I like to think that Beyonce happened to like stumble upon me, that she saw the, <laughs> the magazine copy in her private jet and she was just paging through and she's like, oh my God, there's that girl. Um, <laughs> and then my family was like, oh shit. Like, you know, Catherine's out, like a full page in essence. Then it was like, oh, okay, now <laughs> we get it. But up until that point, they're like, we have no idea what you do. Um, but it, it was just such a fun time. Don't you think yes. it was like, it was, I was talking to someone about the camaraderie we had at that time. Yes. That I don't see in this new generation. Mm. Um, and I don't because know every, maybe everybody's making their sort of like individual content, I guess, at this time, because mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you were writing and you were doing such beautiful work, um, also on television, but I was primarily on television. I was also yeah, writing yeah. for like editorial, but most of my stuff was like on TV. But like we yeah. were a small little community talking about yeah. like fashion and style. But we were like, I don't know, like a little pack of people that had we were this. A pack of people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know. It was also, so fun. You know what it was? I, I felt like no one was thirsty yet. We and... were not. We were doing our own hustle for sure, like we yeah. be, because you had to, I think. But we no were hustling, one, but not thirsty. 
because I think we come from that generation where th- there we didn't know what thirsty was. We were just hard workers. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I think that's the one thing I see missing now. Like with, at one point I was mentoring when I was like transitioning from the budget fashionista after I had sold it, I was mentoring a couple of influencers and I just stopped. Like, yes. <laughs> I was like, I yeah. refused to mentor any influencers. And the reason why was, I remember one influencer that I mentored who's actually quite successful. We were at lunch and I'm like, you know, having lunch with her and sitting and she would like stop and check her phone and she wanted to like take pictures. And I'm like, can we just be, can you and I just talk and then worry about the picture later? Like it doesn't, not everything has to be documented. I think she wanted to show, Oh look, I'm here with Captain Finney. She's my mentor. And I get that. And I don't, and I actually didn't have a problem with that afterwards, but it was like, can we relate first? And I, and I find that really difficult. It makes me sad for them because I don't think they have the community that we have because I think the the money and the fame um, is vastly different than when we were started. Like it, it's it's a higher stake game now than I think when we were doing it. Definitely. And I also think that there's the element of social media that's like peer pressure and like yeah. the need to be judged is not the right word, but like out there and look a certain way. That yeah, you have to like yes. be a, you have to like be a certain thing for people, and you can't yep. just like be yourself. That yep. that did not exist when we were, uh, when we were on the come up. Like when we were on the come up, no one was talking about. Like no one was. I mean, I was talked about all the time being on television, but like, but, as, but not in the same way. Not in the same way. You know what's so interesting? Like easy access to have a lot to say about a lot of people. A lot to say about a lot of people. And there was just this, like, openness. Like, I was reminiscing about, oh, oh, you'll appreciate this because you were there. Um, the fifth anniversary party we had for the Budget Fashionista. And, <laughs> and I was showing it to my current staff members who, some of whom are, like, actually, we have one staff members, like, Gen Z, not even millennial. And, and another, one of our senior staff members who knew me from the Budget Fashionista was, like, you don't understand how big Catherine was. Like we we know her big in this space, but you don't you don't understand. Like so, yes. we were going through and they were showing these pictures. And they're like, you know Carson Kressley. I'm like, yes, I know Carson Kressley, who um, I'm so sad he didn't win like Big Brother because I really wanted him to win. But um, <laughs> and he was so <laughs> such a nice person. But I was like, there is, and this is something I've briefly talked with him about a couple of years ago. We saw each other at something and. I think what's hard is that everything's so constructed now that people don't necessarily trust who you are. Like who Carson is, is really who he is. Um, And I think anyone, maybe now if you watch Big Brother, you get it because they have the feed so you could see what people do. But he really is who he say, he is that person. And I was saying, you know, for me, I find in the space we're at now, it's like, I really am that person. Like if you, the way I am, Offline is the way I'm online and vice versa. And I think um, when I transitioned from the budget fashionista, it was, I saw that that was changing, that it was, it was a different game. Mm. Um, and I was like, I don't want to, I'm not wearing fashion because I want to impress you. I'm wearing it because I like it. Yes. I buy things that I like. Um, yes. I look good because I love the pageantry. Yes. fashion. I love, I love the pageantry of yes. it, right? Like, I think you um, and I were yeah. always, you and I were always people that did what we did in the fashion and style space because we just expressed fully who we were through what we wore all yeah. the time. All the time. All the time. All the time. Yes. And it's so And I think weird still because, now we do too, I think. Well, I stopped for a while. For a while uh-huh. I stopped when I went deeper into tech because I was afraid. Well, I wasn't afraid. People were judging me. Like uh-huh. I couldn't wear my designer stuff because then people would be like, well, if you, why are you raising money if you can afford a uh-huh. product? Because there's always that sort of. Um, but little did they know you probably got that product on some website that you scoured something or, for on right? the back end. Yeah. At an estate or, sale down the block. <laughs> right. But, but, but it was just, 
being under that microscope. And so when I sold Bunch of Fashionista and then went for Blogger and then started Digital Divided, yeah. for those years I was at Digital Divided, I was really repressing myself in, in every way you can think of. Like, so I would, I tried to fit in. So everyone wears, wore t-shirts in startup world. That was like the big thing for a while. Uh-huh. So did do a spin on the t-shirt where we got a t-shirt, but bedazzled it. Uh-huh. And so that became this whole big thing because people are like, oh, my gosh, you have a bedazzled T-shirt. So it's like, I got to at least be a little bit me. But it just felt like everyone, like I was repressed. Like I couldn't yeah. be me. Yeah. So when I left Digital Divide and it was announced that I was starting Genius Guild, and there was like all these pictures of me and like hair and stuff. And people were like, Catherine singing, like what's happened to you? And it's like, no, this is who I always was. Yes. Like I always had hair, makeup, like you don't have to dig that deep in the Google images to find <laughs> other images of me. Pre-track. Literally Google my name and you could see me in Google wild outfits. Fits, right? <laughs> Way before at Fashion Week, at like these sort of things. It's like, this is like literally stuff I've had in my closet for like almost 20 years, some of this stuff. Yes. That I'm just now coming out and wearing and expressing. This is always who I've been. Yes. And... um. And so it's so interesting because I think as women, we get in these spaces where people tell us, people are so comfortable telling us who we should be. Yes, they are. They're just very comfortable, right? Like yes. putting us in boxes that they create um, and telling us how we should navigate in this world. Yes. Um, and giving us very little space to make that determination for ourselves. Yes. Um, sometimes no space <laughs> yes. to do that for ourselves. I'm, and we were talking about this a little earlier, I'm incredibly proud at this point in my life, um, in my own journey, to have cast that away completely mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. to not pay any attention to what anybody puts on me and to just can take it on myself completely and to really build this part of my life and what I choose to do professionally and personally to just be what it is that I'm doing for myself now, what I choose to wear yes. and how I choose to carry mm-hmm. myself and mm-hmm. what I choose to do wherever will be what I choose now. So thanks. Yeah. Bye. You Bye. Know. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> and, it, and it's so hard to get to that point, right? Because I think we're so afraid of like what other people think. Yeah. yeah. And I didn't realize how much I even cared about how much people think. And I'm like, why do I care what these bitches think? Like, yeah. I mean, I'm like, <laughs> like, why do I care? Like what, they don't pay my bills. They're not, you know, they're not giving me anything. And I mean, yep. and I mean that in every sense of yes. the word. Yes. And yes. I'm like, so why do I care what they think? Like what, what why... What value does that bring to me? And I always think back to this discussion that Oprah had, because, you know, it all leads back to Oprah when you're in these ports in your life. <laughs> and, and Oprah, um, she was having a conversation with Maya Angelou, mm-hmm. um, who was like, you know, a, a mother figure to her, very much so. And they were talking about, I think Oprah was just turning 50. And she was like, oh my God, like being 50 is like, amazing like all the stuff I'm learning whatever and my angel is like well, if you think 50 is great girl wait till you get to 70 wow. and I was like that's exactly how I feel right now and I want to yes. share with like younger people I was like girl let me tell you when you get into your 40s 45 and you start to claim yourself as a woman yes which is what I think the one thing I would say for millennials and Gen Z it seems like they're starting that process earlier for us Interesting. which makes me or earlier than us, which makes me so excited for them. Like, don't wait till you're 40, 45 to, like, claim you who you are. You do not have to own the shit that we have to own. Like, get some new mm. shit to own. Mm. And so, and, but it is a, like, power of being mm. like, okay, this is what I want. And being like, delete, delete, delete. You know, mm. I'm newly um, separated, divorced. And, like, you know, even on apps, <laughs> which is, like, nerve-wracking for me (laughs) i can't tell you there is a um we have a whatsapp group um that's called Catherine's on tinder that's the name of the group (laughs) and the reason why it's called that 
is because a dear friend of mine who's a guy who's also in the venture capital space, I was telling him about like what's going on. He's like, oh my God, Catherine's now on Tinder. <laughs> he's like, what is the VC world? And I just thought it was so funny. And it was like, he said it was like love. It was just really funny to me. And so in this group, I'm just like talking about like all these people, like, you know, who I'm dating or who come, who I come across on these apps and like, you know, and like all my like rules, because I do have some rules, like I'm not dating anyone who wears a brown suit, like like a dark brown suit. I just, I can't, it's like what do, physically. What do you mean? What do you mean about this? It's like, I just, there's a lot of men who wear brown suits. Like and what kind about, of, are we talking about like a corduroy brown suit or are we, t- what do you not like no, about the not brown? not an ironic like Tom Brown, like not, not that type of brown suit. I'm talking about like, a K and G, okay, like Macy's, okay. like Steve Harvey, like okay. you know, brown suit, <laughs> and not and not not the current Steve Harvey, Steve Harvey from ten years ago. Steve okay, Harvey. Steve okay. Harvey now has like very tailored whatever. No, no, I'm talking about like Steve Harvey ten years ago. It has like ten buttons on the suit. It's like <laughs> you know, like that sort of thing. And I'm like, if you have a brown suit, you need not to apply. Like, yes. I don't want to. Mm. And then also the travel thing, too. So I'm getting very clear about what I want. Yes. Um, and, and, you know, when you're in your 20s and you, we talk about reinvention, you know, when you're in your 20s, I think sometimes, at least in our generation, we weren't given the space always to communicate what it, exactly we wanted from relationships. And I'm not talking about just, you know, marriage or intimate relationships, but also in our careers and we literally have to figure that out, how to, how to do that. And one of the things I hope I do with the people I mentor and just anyone who I talk with, um, and I talk about this in, the, in my book, is I hope I, I continue to give permission yes. for younger women to not have to own the shit that we have to own. Like, yes. you, you do not have to do that. Because <laughs> like, yeah. I'm telling you, 20 years you know, later, it doesn't really matter. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it really, really doesn't. And so I, I do live think your best. I do think that there is something, though, to just time and the, yeah. the wisdom that we, that we gain through just the mm-hmm. time we put in. You know, yeah. like we paid our dues, like we put in the time and had all. And that's ex- being devalued too, right? Time and not. Yeah. Yeah. Like we, we, I feel as though we are grape. This is a, the analogy might not even be correct, but like we are grapes that have ripened on the vine. We are the fruit that has yes. ripened. Yeah. And we are, we are ripe now. And so we're ready to move on to whatever next phase the fruit becomes, um, I'm ready to be wine. Thank you. You can right? drink me. You can drink me now. Um, right. So. A good sincere. That's what I want to be. Like, yeah, yes. let's do it. <laughs> yes. Cheers. So, like, I do believe that, yes, I love that um, people are claiming their power earlier, but I do believe that there is value in living life. Yeah. And definitely. having those experiences shape us. And, and essentially, I don't want to say harden us, but there's a resiliency that comes mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. living life that you can't get away from that actually, I think, gives us value. And it's I'm appreciative. It's part of the, the journey, right? Yes. It's a part of the journey. And I think one of the things that's happened is that we've not been able to fully express that journey. Um, or we've been told this is the journey and that there can't be many different journeys and you can't reinvent yourself and you can't change uh-huh. And I think the reason why people tell us that is because they're afraid. A lot of people don't like change. And so when you change who you are and you reclaim your power, that can be very frightening to a lot of people. Yes. I choose not to pay attention to those people. Right? Like, and fuck I ch- them. Like- yeah. <laughs> and I choose to hang and have conversations with people like you because we are the people that are claiming our power. So yeah. bye. <laughs> like, like, I love that we can reclaim and reinvent whoever we are at any moment because we are yeah. doing that. And it's great that we can have this conversation and hopefully young people can hear the conversation to know that, yes, reclaim yourself and claim yourself um, at any moment. Because I I don't want to say you have the permission because who are we to give the permission? But like, there is a world in which there are, there is no, there is no uh, imposement of rule over you. Like take it, you know, take yourself basically. If there's anything that the pandemic has taught us is that 
the rules don't make sense. And I remember my niece, um, I'm from Minneapolis and George Floyd um, was murdered six blocks away from where I went to Mm. elementary school. And so I had family members who were very, very involved and continue to be very involved on the ground in Minneapolis. And she was asking me for advice. And I said to her, you know, I'm not going to even give you advice because let me tell you, no one knows nothing. I said, like, <laughs> like this was like, and I said, I know that's not grammatically correct, but seriously, we don't know anything. Yes. Like I can, I can, here's what I will do is like, you know that you have support. Know that if you find yourself in jail, you got bail. Mm-hmm. Know that if you need a getaway, you got it. If you need a lawyer, you got it. Yep. And that is a thing that I think Gen X that we've been able to do for this millennials and younger folks is to give the cover that we didn't have, right? Like we didn't have that cover per se. And so I could say to my niece, like, girl, do what you got to do that you feel is right. You are 20 years old, do it. And know that Aunt Kathy, who's, you know, much older than 20, got you. You don't even have to worry about it. And that sort of power, particularly being African-American and having that sort of power and saying, you could take that risk and you got shelter. And, and even if you don't win, know that you have somebody who's going to help you get out of it. Like that is a, a sort of emotional safety and financial safety that is really rare. And I see for Gen X, I would love for us to even lean more into that role because we didn't have that. The boomers didn't give us that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, the boomers ran away from their parents and then became their parents, like mm-hmm. literally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for us being a little hard and a little more cynical than others, um, we're we're actively trying not to be our parents, like actively. We may win or we may lose that, but we're at least conscious of it. Yeah. It's so beautiful what you're saying, and you're saying it in such a familial way, but I want to ex- like get, take take the real overview of this and say you are a venture capitalist that is doing this in a very real way with many millions yeah. of dollars. So let's actually yeah. talk about the work you're doing to financially yeah. mentor and support full-on communities and what you're doing with that. Like, let's... Yeah, I think it's all connected. That. I actually do, because I think to... Um, you know, we all have issues with money. And I think there is a challenge that America has around Black people and value that is baked into the beginning of this country, right? From the very beginning of this country, Black people were not valued as human beings. And we're seeing now the effects of that, right? And and we're also seeing the effects of, of labor and commerce. And so there are people who may not consciously know this, but subconsciously really believe um, that maybe Black people shouldn't charge for things, right? Or be, because it should be free coming from us, because because that's the way America was set up. And so, as an investor, what makes me excited is that I get to not only invest in amazing um, Black founders who are doing really interesting work, but I also get to change that narrative at the same time. And, and it's hard and it's deeply, deeply entrenched, deeply entrenched into what everyone thinks. And so the ability to invest, and, and I invest at the early stage, which means I'm taking an amount of risk um, in people is, is really powerful. And again, I could do that because I saw my family take a risk and win, and I've taken risks in my life and have won. And so I know winning is possible. And so to be able to give that opportunity to other um, Black founders is pretty, pretty incredible for me um, because we don't always see that. I'm, I'm an, I, am, I am not the norm, and I'm hoping that my experience can be the norm. I think the other thing, too, that's what's exciting about being an investor right now is that um, and most none of the investors I know talk about this or talk about, you know, the frothy markets and like, you know, um, all of that stuff and markups and all this other stuff that that is definitely exciting financially. But for me, it's also that I get to invest in people who are creating. I get to be a part at a, at a moment in time where there's destruction happening. Right. That I get to be around people who are creating positive things, right? They're actually building stuff within this world. And I get to be a part of that journey. And I get to see that. And I get to help build. Um, And I think right now, being in a space where we can 
do that and to be able to do that is incredibly powerful because everything is being destroyed around us. Um, Will you tell us a little bit? I want to just get a little granular around what kind of investment you're doing and what it is. And will you tell us a little bit about the Genius Guilds and what that is exactly and how that came to be? Sure. Um, And so Genius Guild is a venture studio. Um, We're fun that also provides sort of wraparound support to our portfolio, um, as well as we may at some point develop some of our own ideas too. That's not on the uh, quite immediate horizon, at least in terms of like full-fledged companies. Um, we're based in Chicago, but we're located everywhere, obviously, because <laughs> it's still the pandemic, despite what people may say. Um, and, you know, I invest in like sort of three areas. It's um, people who are rethinking the flow of capital, um, how capital flows and who gets it in communities, particularly in Black communities, um, in healthy environments. Um, I'm an epidemiologist. I care a lot about health. I care a lot about public health. And so I'm investing in those areas. And lastly, investing in areas of connectivity, basically people who are using technologies to connect us in a very disconnected world. Um and particularly connecting communities that people didn't think could be connected. So one of our investments is a community of anime geeks called Quirktastic, which I love. And their app is called Quirk Chat. And it's um, a group of incredibly diverse, um, non-binary, all races, all people, all nationalities talking about anime and building this like amazing community um, in which they have almost like a, a TikTok type platform. Um, and I'm the founder, her name is B-Law. She is like totally the brand. Like she is quirky. I was like, I love it. Like you are, you are quirky and you have a app called Quirk Chat. Um, another one of our big investments is in Health and Her, which is a... Um, platform for black women in health. I call it like WebMD for black Mm. women. Although they're really starting to see other folks come in too. So it's not just about black women. Um, And that's like really, really quite amazing. Um, And they're doing really, really, really well. And so, and then there's a couple of others that we have in the pipeline. We're also um, investors in other funds. That's a very, very, very small part of our portfolio, but um, wanted to make sure that we could have that deal flow um, and be able to work with other partners. Um, And that's been pretty incredible. And so um, we invest anywhere from like 150 to upwards of 500, depending on what your technologies are. And this is 500,000. And yeah, I mean, it's been, it's been a very interesting ride. Venture capital is not a space, um, that really has women in it as much and really kind of maybe doesn't want women <laughs> that yes. much. Interesting. Um, there is a lot of challenges. It's, mm. it's really, it's been very, very hard because you're dealing with things that have nothing to do with you or your success or your track record, mm. but everything to do with their perceptions of what you can do. Mm. Mm. And before, I I would imagine that's very challenging, but I also know that you're very strong. So I also know that probably, while it affects you, I'm sure it doesn't affect you that much. And I'm sure it strengthens your resolve forward. (laughs) I try not to, but some days I'm like, damn it, really? Shut up. Shut up. You big big jerk. (laughs) I mean, really? Like, for real? Are we going to do this today? (laughs) And, you know, and you always find, yourself like managing their it's it's just a lot of emotional lifting right yes as a woman as a woman in this space as a black woman in this space and like you're always having to manage white dudes and you know so my book is is coming out in june it's called um yes yes build a damn thing um how to build a company when you're not a rich white dude and so (laughs) i talk about like we're always managing their emotions it gets to be too heavy like i don't want to manage it like i don't want to 
like, you know, or, or manage them in some sort of way. And it just gets to be such a heavy lifting. You know, we just get so exhausted. I have a son. I have to manage him. I can't manage you too. Like, yes. like I just, I'm tired. I don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, and so, and that's one of the things I talk about in, in the book um, is like, how do you navigate this space? When you're not a rich white guy, and that's not just if you're black, but if you're a woman, if you are people, call, if you're Asian, um, you know, I have friends who told me horrible stories about, and this now is a little bit different. They kind of do it in other ways, where men would say when they would go pitch them their companies, "Hey, like you know, I've always been into Asian chicks," uh-huh. and they're like, because that sounds like the most appropriate thing to say to somebody. That's, and this dinner is about me talking about my company, not about, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck you. Um, yeah. <laughs> like at all. That is not the lens that I came into this meeting around. And, but like literally that's where you see me like, right. Yes. And so how do you navigate that? Like, how do you, because it's, they still control a big part of the world. And so how do we navigate while maintaining our own sanity? Yes. Um, and we talk a lot about that in the book, about creating your personal tool toolbox um, that just helps you get through. And then the people that you need, this is before you even get to your business. Like, here's the people you need to have on to help protect yourself mentally. Yes. Um, so I talk about my mom okay. who... Um, has a very particular skill set to take, you know, a a phrase from the movie Taken that she's honed over many years. And that is she can deal with crazy family members very well. She's very talented. She's very skilled at that. And no one's going to argue with a 75 year old black grandma. Like, you know, (laughs) like, because they may have a switchblade like that. They may have something in that purse. Like don't get it twisted. There may be something extra in that purse. And so, you know, when it came out, coming from a community that is resource poor, right? So it came out that raised this big fund and stuff. You can imagine family members came and was like, oh, we want to talk to Catherine. We need to do this. We need this. We need that. And my mom will like very comfortably say, no. Like, <laughs> well, can you send it to her? No, I can't. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> you know, no, I'm not able to. No. And they're like, oh, well, you don't have a number. Like, no, we talk almost every day. I just don't want to send it to her. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think this is, no, no, thank you. Next. I mean, but it's that sort of, you need that person when you are a founder who can run interference. You you need the person who makes you laugh um, because it's crazy when you're in the other fundraising or building a company is so incredibly difficult. You need someone who's going to bring some levity to your life. Who's yes. going to make you laugh and like, you know, even if it's like the silliest thing, like just like make you laugh and um, because you're going to need that break and you need the person who's a great listener. You're going to need all these different, you know, folks in your corner in order to build whatever it is that you're building. Um, And so I talk a lot about that in the book. And then we talk about like, you know, minimal viable product, all that other stuff of like, how do you get to your first thing? But I've spent the first two chapters really talking about getting yourself together. And I think that's really important. I had never read a entrepreneurship book that talked about how to prepare yourself mentally for being an entrepreneur. Like in any sort of way, it was always like, oh, you know, entrepreneurship's hard. Okay, so here's how you start building. It's like, no, in order to be successful, you're going to have to build that inner core. You're going to have to build that inner foundation and how do you do that? Like, how do you even start? Like, what what do you need to have? Um, and those are all the things that I wish I had read when I was starting my first company. Um, I talk a lot about my mistakes because there's many. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but also about failing is not bad. Like, and how do we reframe failing? But again, when you're not the norm, you know, like white guys, of God bless them, fell up. I mean, how many have we seen fell up? I was talking to someone about the founder of, of Uber who was, you know, sued by his, you know, investors for his first company. And it was like some questions and allegations of propriety in his second company. Those same people invested in him in Uber. Like, so it was just like, this felled up. Whereas, yeah. you know, when you're outside the realm, 
um, when you're a woman, you're a person of color, it's like, oh, wait, well, you felt you're over. Like we knew it. We knew that you were going to not do this. And it's like, we're not given second chances. We're not giving those sort of things. And so talk about how do you get over it and how do we get okay with failing? It's okay. Um, and it is a positive. Capital. Right. It's okay. It's a positive. It is. Failing, especially failing quickly, is such a blessing. And I think we've framed failing as like the end all to be all. Well, I felt I can't. No, you got new information. Like, think of it in that way. You got new information that you did not have before. And you've, like over, you you, gotta, you, you've also overcome the, the, let's call it a setback. You've also overcome that yeah. and moved on. But, you know, sometimes what we think is a setback is often not a setback. Mm-hmm. And that's a perspective of getting having time and getting towards, you know, midlife now. Mm-hmm. Of, like, mm-hmm. things that I maybe thought were a setback. Now that I look back, there was, there was a divine order to it. There was mm-hmm. a reason why that happened. And I think where we get in trouble is when we try to question a divine order. And I'm not saying, like, if you believe in God, whatever you may believe in, whether, you know, it's still the universe has order to it. Science. Order is that this idea of a divine order is a concept that comes directly from science. And I'm a scientist. So there was a divine order to what you were doing. There was a reason why it happened that way. And and you, when we try to like change it, instead of like really sitting in this, this is happening, right? It's happening right now. How am I feeling? How, How is this? What do I do? Maybe I don't even have to know what to do next. Like maybe I could just sit in this for a minute yes. and breathe. Yes. Allow it. Allow it. I've done a lot of like um, work and it's, this is not in, in this book, but when I write my next book, I'm going to talk about breathing. Mm. And I realized I was breathing completely wrong. Ah. And like, <laughs> like completely wrong. And almost everyone's breathing, breathing completely wrong. We all breathe through our mouths. We're supposed to be breathing <gasps> mostly through our nose. Yes. And I have a like, friend. Oh I have a friend who literally is like, everybody's a mouth breather. We have to nose breathe. Stop being a mouth breather. <laughs> it is hard, right? I mean, I, I live in Chicago. It's cold as hell here. Like everyone has a cold or there's something. So like breathing through your nose is, but even becoming aware of myself is like, okay, I'm not breathing correctly. Like, so I'm feeling tense. Let me go sit in the corner and take some deep breaths. But yes. So pausing for a moment when we feel like we're in these places and just saying, you know, okay, let me just be. And this is really important for reinvention, particularly those people who, where you don't know what's next and and, um, just to sit and pause and like be in the moment and, and, and observe this moment and observe how you're feeling and be in that moment and breathe. Ooh, I love this. Tell us again when the book is coming out. So the book, you can pre-order it now. It's on Amazon. It comes out in June. I'm super excited. There's a really cute picture of me on the cover. Ah, so, so I'm, I'm very, I'm like really excited about that. It was a great, <laughs> it was a great photo day. So like, make sure we pick it up for no other reason. <laughs> is that, um, the, is that the photo you have on Tinder, Catherine? <laughs> no, it's not <laughs> like Catherine is on Tinder. Like, like, no, it's not. And I'm not on Tinder because that scares me. <laughs> I, I don't know what I would do. I was like, I don't. I don't know how PG is. Is your podcast very PG? Because I don't want to mention. Not particularly. No. Okay. <laughs> We're women. So my greatest fear is to get like a dick pic from like a fifty-something-year-old uh-huh. dude. <laughs> I am so frightened of that. Like an listen, unsolicited listen. dick pic. <laughs> my my last guest, her name is Tayomi Morgan. She yeah. is phenomenal. She's a sex expert. You should one listen to the episode, but two, I will uh, I introduce will. you to her because she. Is, I would love to. She's in Chicago actually, and I oh, should. Oh well, yes, I I'm gonna. To. I should introduce you to her. She is phenomenal, and she actually helped me with this very thing. So I'm going to connect you on okay. Instagram and y'all are yes. going to be friends. And Wait, don't do Instagram. Connect me via email because other people look at my Instagram. Okay. So okay. yeah. But yeah. That's going to be the hard thing too. Like the fact that I have other people Just, who manage my Instagram, my social media. And I'm like, this, I know this I'm going to get another one. This, woman, this woman's going to change your life. So, so get ready for it. 
Get ready. I'm I'm ready for it. Like convince me that I should accept the 50 year old dick pic. I mean, because I'm just like I do not want to see it. Especially, I'm just like a my and so one of my friends is like, "What are you afraid of?" I'm like, "It's not going to be well groomed, and it's going to be like <laughs> I don't know. It just like I'm just a frightened. She's like, "Do you think it's going to like jump off the camera and bite you?" I'm like, "It might. I don't know. Like it just." I don't, I don't, well, I don't know. If I may remind you, you just breathe through it. You just, just breathe. Just <laughs> That could be a whole other <laughs> podcast episode about breathing through that. Cause I'm like, <laughs> so I'm frightened. And then also, you know, as a mom and you have kids and I know, they look I know. at your phone and I'm like, I don't want him to be like, mommy, I- there's somebody's penis. <laughs> <laughs> Believe me, we're in this together. We're in this together. I'm in it with you. Right. Because I, well, I know it's going to be like, I, I'm, I, he doesn't know. I'm, you know, because he's, he's young. So you don't tell them, but um, I, know. I know a lot of stuff. But I'm like, I just can't imagine. I can just see him being like, what is this? Yeah. What is that a picture of? And I'm like, yeah, it's That's not. That's why you got to delete, delete, delete. D- delete, 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 delete. <laughs> Don't do that. No, that's not. But I'm, you know, and I'm all paranoid. So I have like my Google voice and like all this different stuff. But, and I'm trying you know, to always look for apps that are like delete things in the moment and so stupid. Right? Because, yeah. you know, but it's a part of, you know, reinventing ourselves at this point. I'm reinventing myself. Exactly. Like I'm coming out as, um, and stepping into fully who I am. Yes. It's going to be very interesting to see the reactions of others who yes. had me in their box. And even family, like yes. I have already like pushed back on them because my husband and I were married for a really long time. Yes, and so obviously family gets involved with it. Yes, they and do. and you know one family member is like, oh well, maybe he, you know, maybe he'll find his way back to you. It's like I don't, I, I burnt the map. <laughs> I won't like, be first home. Of all, <laughs> I won't be home. <laughs> there is no GPS. My GPS signal is turned not, off. Like, I'm not yeah. here. <laughs> I'm not here. Like that's, I don't want that. Like, (laughs) like, like, like I think, but it's interesting. Like, you know, when you're in this process of people putting their own whatever on you and you're like, I don't want that. And now I'm like, I actually said, I don't want him to find his way back. There's no way back to find. Yes. And, and the person was a little bit taken back and said, no, I don't want that. Like I'm claiming who I am and I'm going to tell you what I want and what I don't want. And I don't want that. Like, um, and, and it's just very interesting. Like people have that reaction, but, um, we we are here. We are here. We are here. And we're breathing through our noses. And we are (laughs) nose breathing. (laughs) We're nose breathing. Well, thank you so much for sharing your incredible story today. Uh, to watch you rise and also just lift as you rise has been an, an incredible thing, Catherine Finney. I am grateful to know you and call you my friend. And the best of luck with the book and with all of the endeavors that you put all of your heart and soul and big brain into. Mm-hmm. Hmm, thank you. We are thank an you. independent podcast, so please be sure to download this episode, subscribe to our show, and leave us a nice review, please. Also, share Share this pod with other rebel women. Every bit helps to support us. I'm Jess Zeno, and this is the Mothers of Reinvention. Bye. Yeah, back it, back it. Yeah, pull up to the bumper game with the signal. Cover me, cause I'm changing how to handle on it.